0: Our family Bible story Sunday school lesson for this week is a Bible narrative chosen to correspond with the Ten Commandments and the close of the Commandments. It is the worship of the golden calf. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does God say about all these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That is the close of the commandments, a quotation from Exodus 20, verses 5 through 6 in the Catechism. It is in the congregation at prayer this week, and it's important to stress that those words are all law. I am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The jealousy of God has to do with how God and God alone is the source of life and he is angered against anything that would destroy our lives. So he is jealous for us. It's the only kind of jealousy that is not sinful jealousy because he recognizes, similarly to that of a parent, that there are certain things that will destroy a child. And so a parent reacts with anger towards the child if the child runs into the danger that will destroy him. In the same way, God is jealous for us. And when in the second part of this section of the catechism quotation from Exodus 20, it says, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, it's important to note that that also is law. In other words, If you do what you are told by mom and dad, things go well for you in the household. For that day and every day on into the future, that is still a statement of the law as opposed to a statement of the gospel, a promise of God's mercy for the undeserving. So the love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments is a law statement based on faithfulness to the commandments. It is not a statement of the gospel. So then the catechism asks the question, what does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments? Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. Here again, in the explanation, Luther is talking about how the law works. God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. There's not a shred of comfort in that statement because we are all sinners who break his commandments. But on the basis of the threat of punishment, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them, his commandments. That's what the law inspires, fear of God's wrath. And, out of such fear, there is quite often an avoidance of doing that which will bring about the wrath of God. But again, all law. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Again, there's not much comfort there because we daily sin much. Yet, the promise of the law is still in effect. There is grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. But again, it is a law statement. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him, something that the law demands under the first commandment, and we should gladly do what he commands, something that the law demands. Now, when we become Christians and when we're brought to contrition and repentance, there is a love and a trust for God that is created. There is also a love and a delight in God's commandments and, according to our new nature, a desire to keep them. But it's important to underscore that this section of the Catechism is a law section. It's the end of the Ten Commandments. It is a law section not only in terms of the promise of wrath for those who break the commandments, but it's also a law statement for those who gladly keep the commandments. So the law is always accusing us. It is always showing us our sin. It also functions to curb the gross outbreaks of sin in society and in culture, in the home, in the family, in the school. And it also serves to function as a standard of truth and goodness for the Christian to guard us against the way in which our sinful flesh befuddles us. But this section is a conclusion to the Ten Commandments and therefore a statement of the law. I would like you to hear the prayers from the catechism based on these two statements in the catechism. What does God say about these commandments and what does this mean? Notice the language of this part of the catechism in each of these prayers. And also there is within the prayer kind of an interpretation of the words. So the first one is shorter. Almighty God, you threaten to punish all who break your commandments. Therefore, help us to fear your wrath and not do anything against them. But you also promise grace and every blessing to all who keep your commandments. Therefore, forgive us our sins and strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we love and trust in you and gladly do what you command in Jesus' name, amen. So you can recognize the language of the catechism in that prayer, but you also, in the prayer, in the petition for forgiveness, see that it is the strengthening of our faith in Jesus through his forgiveness that enables us to make make a beginning at loving and trusting in God and gladly doing what he commands. The second prayer, a bit longer, Picks up on the language of the Exodus 20. Lord God, Heavenly Father, apart from you, we have no life or salvation. Therefore, you are a jealous God, desiring us to fear, love, and trust in you above all things. You punish children for the sin they share in and have committed from their fathers that they might be brought to repentance and faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You show love and mercy to those who love you and keep your commandments. Therefore, grant us true repentance and forgive us every sin against your holy law, that we might cheerfully love you and gladly do what you command. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit one God now and forever. So here again in this particular prayer based on the close of the commandments, you see the function of the law to bring about repentance and faith. You see the jealousy of God who desires us to fear and love him above all things because there's no life or salvation apart from him. You see how it is the forgiveness of sins granted to us for Jesus' sake, to those who are brought to repentance, that we learn to cheerfully love and gladly do what he commands. So you see the close connection between the law, which shows us our sin, brings us to contrition and repentance, and the gospel, which creates faith, comforts the troubled conscience, and begins to enable the Christian to love and trust in God. In this life, it is never perfect, but it is certainly that which uh, God desires for us. The Bible verse for the week this year in the congregation at prayer is Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with that verse in mind, and this introduction to the close of the commandments and those two prayers based on the commandments, we read the Bible story, the worship of the golden calf. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come. Make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So some central thoughts to keep in mind as we discuss this particular reading. Number one, the children of Israel broke the Ten Commandments by worshiping a golden calf idol. This is Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments had been given to the children of Israel. They had already received the Ten Commandments. And contrary to the first commandment, they built the golden calf. Number two, the children of Israel were selfish and wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. So their real idol was themselves, wasn't it? It's interesting that when they built that golden calf, Aaron proclaimed, this is the Lord, and he used the divine name Yahweh, I am, or in your English Bibles, the Lord in all caps. So they ascribe the deliverance and the redemption from Egypt to this golden calf, saying this golden calf is the Lord. But, Behind this idol is their own selfishness. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. And anytime you are worshiping anything other than the true God, it will inevitably turn you into a selfish, self centered individual. Number three, this picks up on the catechism language the law threatens to punish all who break the Ten Commandments. Number four, the law promises a blessing to all who keep the commandments. Number five, the law shows us our sin and how much we need our Savior, Jesus Christ. Number six, Jesus kept God's law for us, not only in his act of obedience, never sinning against the Ten Commandments, but also in suffering the punishment that the law demanded for sin in his death upon the cross. Number seven, then, Jesus saved us from eternal punishment by dying for us upon the cross. And number eight, God's word calls us to confess our sins and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. This is what God wanted Moses to do. When God's anger was burning hot against them and he threatened to punish them for their idolatry, notice how Moses then intercedes for them. Don't do it. The Lord says, I'll make of you a great nation, Moses. It was to, in a certain sense, put Moses to the test. And by that I mean to call Moses to cry out to God on the basis of the promise of the gospel made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In your seed, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Moses intercedes for them on the basis of the promise of the gospel. And so there's, the, there's the, the gospel in this narrative. has to be seen in how the Lord relents from harm on the basis of the fact that he promised to save them, not on the basis of their obedience to the law, but on the basis of the seed of Abraham, the son of God, who would come and fulfill the law for them. But you see in this narrative the threat of punishment. What do the Ten Commandments teach us and why did God give us the Ten Commandments? He actually gave us the commandments because he loves us and because he desires to save us from our sins. The Ten Commandments articulate what is good and right. They articulate what God's gifts are, his name, under the second commandment, and prayer, his word under the third commandment, which includes preaching, Um, the gift of family, parents, and civil authority under the fourth commandment, life, the sanctity of life that is created and nurtured in the context of God's ordering of family under the fifth commandment, Uh, marriage and human sexuality under the sixth commandment, property and possessions under the Seventh Commandment, a good name and reputation under the Eighth Commandment, and under the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, he wishes to protect the affections of our hearts. So, what God wants to protect and bless, what we are to do and what we are not to do, what it is to love God and what it is to love the neighbor, is what the Ten Commandments describe. So finally the Ten Commandments teach us that we are sinners precisely because through Adam's fall we have rebelled against God. And therefore the law is always accusing us and showing us how much we need Christ our Savior and his forgiveness. And so that accusation of the law and the threat of punishment in the narrative is what causes Moses then to cry out for the children of Israel and intercede for them. Not certainly on the basis of their works but on the basis of the promise of the gospel made to Abraham. So the Ten Commandments call us to repentance. They teach us to confess our sins, to pray for God's forgiveness, and to pray for God's strength to keep the commandments and to lead a holy life of love toward God and love toward our neighbor. It's very important that the threat of punishment that we see in Exodus 20, uh, at the conclusion of the Ten Commandments, That wrath of God is what was poured out upon Jesus in his death upon the cross. So this is why we speak of both the active and the passive obedience of Jesus. He actively kept the law. He didn't sin. But his passive obedience is that he took our sin to himself. It was laid upon him, and then he was punished for us. So he died upon the cross. His death upon the cross demonstrates his love for his father with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. And because of that then, how he loved us in place of himself. So in his death, he took all of the punishment that the law says that we deserve and that is demanded of us. So the golden calf was a false god, an idol that Aaron and the children of Israel had fashioned for themselves. The Golden Calf represented all of their sinful desires to have whatever they wanted and to do whatever they pleased. The Golden Calf represented all the covetous desires of their sinful flesh. They worshiped their own lusts and desires by eating, drinking, and playing around the Golden Calf. By their sin, they had rejected their Lord and the only true God. Moses prayed for their salvation on the basis of God's promise to save them, a promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the same way, we confess our sins and pray for forgiveness on the basis of God's promise to us in Jesus. God gave us his law because he loved us. The Ten Commandments are good. They teach us what is right and wrong and what we are to do and not to do. They threaten God's punishment when we break them and God's blessing when we keep them. They teach us about God's good gifts that he wants to protect. They teach us what it means to love God by trusting him, praying to him, and listening to him under the first three commandments. They teach us how to love our neighbor by honoring our parents and civil authorities, the fourth commandment, by helping our neighbor in every physical need, the fifth commandment, and by leading a pure life of love for our spouse, the sixth commandment, by helping our neighbor improve and protect his possessions and income, the seventh commandment, by defending our neighbor's good name and reputation, the eighth commandment, and by guarding our hearts from selfish desires so that we are helpful to our neighbor in every way, the ninth and the 10th commandments. We are sinners who cannot lead a holy life or save ourselves from our sin. The law always accuses us of sin and threatens us with punishment because we are sinners. The law cannot save. It can only show us our sin. We need Christ. The Ten Commandments call us to repentance. They call us to confess our sins and to flee to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and out of that the strength to live a holy life. Jesus died for us upon the cross. He fulfilled God's law for us. He forgives us. Through faith in Jesus, we are justified, declared righteous. And that means in that declaration of righteousness, we are holy, pure, and accept- acceptable to God because of what he has done for us. Jesus has delivered us from slavery to sin, death, and the power of the devil. And by being converted to faith in Christ and by his forgiveness, we are given a new heart and a new will. His forgiveness is our strength to make a beginning at leading a holy life of love for God and love for our neighbor. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, save us from making and worshiping false gods like the golden calf. Thank you for the Ten Commandments. Without God's law, we would not know what is right or wrong, and we would have no knowledge of our sin and how much we need you. Thank you for dying upon the cross to save us from our sins. Forgive us every day and strengthen us by your forgiveness to love you and our Heavenly Father and to love our neighbor faithfully. In your name we pray. Amen.